From pollinators to pests, insects are an inseparable part of horticulture. I'm Dr. Ian Smith and welcome to Bug Bites on the Plants Grow Here podcast. Join me each episode as we learn about horticulturally important insects and explore their hidden worlds. They arrive on the wind, moving without a sound, feeding unseen. They are all around you, rapidly multiplying. You're outnumbered, and they may soon kill. Flowers! Horror movie? No, just your typical quiet afternoon in any garden with its tiny resident plant-sucking insects, the thrips. So what is a thrips, and what's up with my grandma suddenly? To get the second question out of the way, a bit of trivia. The word thrips is actually a direct transliteration of the ancient Greek word for woodworm. As such, the word thrips is both plural and singular, like the words sheep or fish. Okay, enough of the etymology, and back to the entomology. Thrips are a particularly small insect, even by insect standards, usually growing to around a millimetre in length. With slender, elongated bodies ranging in colours from near-transparent yellow to a range of browns to jet black. As adults, they are weak flies with four narrow wings, but can still manage short distances, such as between adjacent plants. The reason thrips are significant in horticulture is that most thrips have specialised mouth parts that let them pierce and suck the sap out of plants. In small numbers, this won't be noticeable and is unlikely to have an impact on a plant. However, in favourable conditions, particularly during spring and autumn, numbers can rapidly increase, with females able to produce up to 300 eggs in their lifetime. Once in high numbers, thrips start to cause a range of issues to plants, including scarring, discoloration, leaf curl, leaf silvering, deformed shoots and flowers, mosaic patches, stunted fruits, and reduced growth. To make matters worse, thrips are also a major spreader of viruses, including tospoviruses, like tomato-spotted wilt virus and impatens necrotic spot virus. There are somewhere between 900 and 1,800 species of thrips in Australia, But the good news is, most species are highly host-specific, so there is actually only a few that are key horticultural pests. Notable pests in Australia include the plague thrips, onion thrips, tomato thrips, western flower thrips, and chilli thrips, to name a few. What tends to make most of these thrips major pests is they are polyphagous, which is jargon for able to eat many different things. So don't let the common names fool you. For example, in addition to chilli plants, The chili thrips also feeds off a range of other plants, including tomatoes, citrus, petunias, marigolds, and roses, as any rose grower in Perth over the last few growing seasons can attest to. Given all these different species of thrips, if you find some in your garden, how do you tell what thrip species you have? Well, as a professional entomologist, here's how you do it. You don't. Seriously. Correct identification requires a high-powered microscope, chemical clearing of the insect's body, knowledge of internal physiology, and a diagnostic guide. This can be quite tricky, even for career professionals. For most people, a far more practical method is looking at the damage that has been caused, checking for any thrips, and then searching for what thrips target that plant and what their damage looks like. Ultimately, however, thrip control will be practically the same across species, so knowing the exact species generally won't be that helpful to most people unless you're involved with imports and exports or agricultural scale production, in which case it would be best to have a talk with an agronomist or other expert specialising in your industry to develop an ongoing management plan. 
So given the damage these little insects can cause and how hard they can be to see, it makes sense to prevent them from arriving in your garden in the first place, right? Uh, well, remember how I said earlier that thrips are poor flyers? That's a half-truth. Although they are poor at actively flying, once the wind picks up, it's a different matter, with thrips able to ride the breeze for miles. How far exactly? There have been recorded cases of thrips travelling from Australia all the way to the mountains in New Zealand's South Island. So what I'm saying in a roundabout way is thrips are almost always a matter of monitoring and management rather than prevention and eradication. So without further ado, let's discuss monitoring and control. The easiest way to monitor for thrips is to put a piece of white paper under a flower or growing tip and then give the branch a sharp whack. This will dislodge some thrips and they will be easy to see on the white paper. If you detect any in this way, have a closer inspection of the plant and see how many more there are. If you can see dozens of thrips in flowers, growing tips or fruit, or you can start to see plant damage, it's time to consider implementing control. If you are operating at a commercial scale, it will be worthwhile maintaining blue coloured sticky traps at set points and regularly inspecting the numbers of trapped thrips. This way you'll be able to observe what the regular amount of thrips are and get an early warning when their populations start to spike. So you are monitoring for thrips and realise you have a large population and are starting to see some signs of damage. What should you do? Well, control is going to be related to your goals and any commercial value. So here are some possible options to consider. Option 1. Do nothing. No, I'm serious. Although thrips can damage plants, they are unlikely to kill an established plant. So work out if the effort and cost of preventing the damage is worth more than the value of the plant's appearance and production. Typically, once populations get high enough, beneficial insects will move in to enjoy the buffet, and eventually climactic conditions will become less favourable, resulting in the population stabilising or even falling. Option 2. Cultural practices. Okay, so you have a reputation to protect, so doing nothing is probably not an option. Plants can be managed to build their resistance and reduce the risk of high thrip populations. This can be done through the following. Keeping plants well watered, supplied with compost, and just generally thriving. A happy plant is a resistant plant. As the more stressed a plant is, the less anti-insect compounds it can produce in its leaves. Spreading similar host plants out. Planting the same or closely related plants densely together makes it easy for one infested plant to spread its thrips to the other. So when planting a garden, consider if the plants could be scattered throughout the garden rather all in one section. Keep on top of host weeds. Sometimes weeds can act as a harbour for thrips, so if you notice the same type of thrips in weeds near your plants, make sure you keep on top of the weeding. Cut off heavily infested flowers and buds as practicable. Once flowers are damaged, they will never develop properly so removing heavily infested flowers will remove the large number of thrips that are in that flower. Soak the cutting in a bucket of soapy water to kill the thrips and then bin them. Avoid excessive applications of nitrogen fertiliser. This may promote higher populations of thrips. Ensure healthy planting material. Thrips and associated plant viruses can be introduced in infected seedlings and plants. Seedlings should be located away from production areas and monitored for pests and diseases. And finally, use of thrips-proof mesh and fill in gaps if operating in greenhouses or similar closed environments to prevent them arriving in the first place. Option 3. Biological control. So despite your best plant cultural practices, 
Thrip populations are still higher than you would like, but you're not yet ready to bring in the chemicals? Time to call in the troops, the biological control troops. For most insect pests, there isn't many commercially available options. But, good news, there is actually a range of commercially available biological control agents for thrips. Two of the most notable are the predatory mites, Hypoaspis and Montdurensis. These mites will feed on young thrips and their eggs, and are applied by sprinkling a medium containing hundreds of mites over plants to be protected. Although biological control won't eradicate thrips, they can be effective at keeping their numbers low enough to prevent noticeable impact on plants, particularly in greenhouses. Option 4. Chemical control. Now, I know everyone wants a magic bullet when it comes to insecticides, but when it comes to thrips, things can get tricky, and rarely long-lasting. This is because the pupa are in the soil, eggs are inserted inside the plant, and larvae and adults hide within flowers and leaf crevices, where pesticide penetration is poor. And just to top it off, many of the most significant pest thrip species have developed insecticide resistance. So while chemical control can be effective, it is best to go in with a plan and consider the following. To effectively control thrips, you have several options for insecticides, both organic and conventional. The best one to use will depend on your specific needs and usage, so it is important to take the time to carefully read the label and understand how the insecticide works, how to apply it, and any limitations or off-target effects it may have, such as harming pollinators. Insecticides that can assist in controlling thrips can be grouped according to their modes of action. These are contact, systemic, and translaminar. Contact insecticides work when sprayed directly onto the thrips. This will typically be effective in the short term, but is likely to miss some of the life stages or thrips inside the flowers or buds, so follow-up control may be required. Systemic insecticides are watered in and absorbed through the roots. Although this may be effective for some species, insecticides are not readily transported into the flowers and therefore may not be as effective. Translaminar insecticides are sprayed onto the plant and are absorbed into the plant tissue at contacts, but does not circulate like systemic insecticides. These can be highly effective as these are most likely to be ingested by thrips that are concealed inside the flowers and leaf buds. If you are in a situation where you are frequently using insecticides, you should ensure you rotate between insecticides with different group types. A group type should be displayed on the front of the insecticide container in white font on a black background. This number refers to how the insecticide kills the insect, by alternating between insecticides with a different group type number, roughly every two to three weeks, you reduce the risk of creating a population with insecticide resistance. And one last fun fact before closing up. Have you ever felt a random sharp itch like a tiny bite while gardening? You guessed it. Thrips aren't the smartest creatures and will sometimes be attracted to bright clothing and skin and mistakenly try to unsuccessfully drink sap from you. So there is another garden mystery solved that you weren't thinking about. And there you have it. You now have the knowledge to enjoy those well-earned, blemish-free flowers. Until next time, catch you on the thrips side. You have been listening to a Plants Grow Here podcast. This episode was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Theme tune is Space Dust by Airtone. If you have an episode idea, tweet it at hashtag PGHBugs. I'm Ian Smith. See you next time.